Grammy winner and Academy Award-nominated pianist composer Roger Kellaway has worked with everyone from Ellington and Elvis to Barbara Streisand and Yo-Yo Ma. Roger covers classical, jazz, and everything in between with equal ease. His many compositions include Come to the Meadow, his theme for NPR's Selected Shorts, and Remembering You, the closing theme for the popular 70s TV show, All in the Family. With Roger's wide range of musical influences, we had lots to discuss. So it makes sense that we started our conversation in Manhattan and finished it at Roger's beautiful home in Ojai, California. Today, in honor of Roger's 80th birthday, which he celebrated last month, we're revisiting this conversation, which first aired last year. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Roger Kellaway feels fortunate that he had an unusually thorough musical education from the start. I was studying classical music, and... I was listening, well, I listened to an awful lot of Bach. And I should interject at this time that uh, I was from Newton, Massachusetts. And the high school there was the number three high school at the time. Which meant that the orchestra, of which I was playing double bass because that was my second instrument because when I went into junior high and I, there were eight piano players auditioning and Vinnie Morato, who was the director, pointed to the the one bass player and said, how would you like to play one of those? I said, sure. <laughs> and I've never forgotten the guy's name. Tenny Peck was his name. I could read the bass cliff because I was a pianist. We were doing Beethoven symphonies. We were doing Mozart symphonies. This is a high school orchestra. Plus, we had a big band, and the big band was led by Danny Ippolito, who was from the Glenn Miller Band. And then we had a jazz band, which was led by Red Doran, who came from the Tommy Dorsey Band. And one day, we did the Bach, is it the, the second concerto with the, uh, with the F trumpet? We did it twice. Red Doran played it through twice. Unbelievable. So... Just to think about that, I'm having huge high school envy. That's incredible. It it was amazing. Plus, we had Henry Lasker, who was doing uh, a college-level theory in in junior and senior years. Who was the enlightened person that – why did this happen? That's – I'm I'm curious because this is a big subject now, and I'm glad you're talking about it because everybody's talking about the fact in England, where I spend a lot of time too, that – that music classes are being dumped, that there's less focus on the arts. And you can really speak to this because you went to a school that was doing this on a nuclear level. It, it was unbelievable. But I, I, I don't know how that how happened. happened. No, because it was before me that, the, that the, it actually began to happen. Mm. When I got to the high school, there we were. And there it was. Donald March led the orchestra. And... It, and at the end of the senior year, uh, for Henry Lasker, you were to write a composition for orchestra. <laughs> so, and perform, and we performed it, but they had no conductors, so I think I had to conduct it and play it, or or something like that. So I listened to Bach. Uh, I might listen to Woody Herman. 
Um, it actually got more esoteric later. I'd, it might be Spike Jones. <laughs> and I've only met one producer, really, in my life that could listen that eclectically, and that was Steve Goldman, and he's the one that produced the cello quartet. That was something I was looking forward to talking to you about because that is rare, as you've just stated. You know, it took me... Uh, uh, maybe 20 or 30 years to realize that what it was all about was sound. It's about sound. If you think about the sound spectrum and everything that ha that's possible in the sound spectrum, and then you think about melody. Melody and harmony are great condensations of, of bringing the sound spectrum down into a kind of focused area. So... Uh, Bach or Spike Jones or or Tommy Dorsey or Woody Herman or or, or Stravinsky or Luciano Berio or Messiaen, or, they all represent sound on a different level, and that's what I began to realize. So it's all about the sound. It is. That's so interesting because just last night, when I was so lucky to get to hear you at Catano here in New York, before I left, I was having a drink with Jay Lenhart, your bassist. And I said, I'm going to talk to Roger on Jazz Inspired tomorrow. What really stands out to you about how Roger thinks? And he said, sound. And I was thinking that too because I said, I've always thought of musicians, the ones who, especially pianists, where they talk less about tone with, uh -huh. a, with a pianist. And that's something I've always loved about your playing, was the sound of it. Uh -huh. You know, people like Great. you, Tommy Flanagan, that you uh -huh. really think they're listening to the tone of, of the piano. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's interesting that you're saying this now. But a lot of people 
even thinking about sound wouldn't love all these styles as I know you do. You're really interested in Spike Jones and Messiaen. Yeah, you, it's true. Yeah. That's different. That's you. That's a, that's a unique part of you. At least I've always felt that about you. Well, it's, uh, I, yeah, I've always had that curiosity as to, you know, what makes this tick? Well, I didn't know really about Spike Jones. I just liked the band. Mm. And then because of a major influence in high school, Dick Sudalter, uh, I ended up playing Dixieland for years. First on bass and then ultimately... With Dick? Yeah. I didn't know did that. Did you know Dick Sudalter? Yes, I did, but I didn't know that you two were in a band together. Well... Dick's father played alto sax in, I believe, the original Dixieland band. Ah. Dick's father worked for an oil company. Mm. He got up in the morning, he practiced alto sax. He went to work, he came home for lunch, he practiced alto sax. He went to work, <laughs> he came home, he practiced alto sax. Uh. The basement, Sudhalter's basement, was filled with 78s. Ah, uh, so this was a great influence on you, a great resource. Well, there were, there, believe it or not, there were two at the, at, at the time. You see, Dick was pushing the Dixieland area, and mm. there was another guy called Dave Schreier who was trying to push me towards uh, Horace Silver and, uh, and a more modern, I mean, more modern for that right, time. Right, right. Well, that's great. And also, I, in my uh, year ahead of me was Steve Kuhn. Oh, so you were surrounded. This is great. So I and I heard uh, Toshiko for the first time when she first came to America in our auditorium. It was an amazing school. Yeah, it really is. It's incredible. Dick was the, one of the first people to review me. That's how I met Dick when I came to New York. For our audience to know that Dick Sudhalter was a critic and a player, as you're saying, oh, when yeah. you were playing in that band. Yeah. Well, you were a big fan of Fats Waller because yeah. you said that. And, and something I was thinking about last night when you were playing, sort of bringing back memories because I haven't heard you in person in a long time, that, that it's obvious all these influences that you play how they all come together in your own style. And I am i don't know that you can give advice on this, but I want you to try. Because something that's happening now with younger players who have studied these things, and I'm saying not just younger than we, but I know when I came up, I focused on stride because I heard it, I liked it, I taught myself how to play it. Mm-hmm. Now... The younger players are, there's more jazz studies programs, there's things that they are listening to these different kinds of music to where when I, I was an oddball when I was in my 20s playing stride. Yeah. But now when I'll hear them, very often I'll hear them, they just insert that into a solo that this is the bit that's the stride bit. This is the bit that is the Errol Garner bit. You know, it doesn't go together in a complete way that feels like they've absorbed the styles. It feels well, they like aren't it's old an, enough. It's an intellectual. Well, is that well? Yeah, that's what would you that's say part to of these it is people? The maturity of it. Well, so, if, if that's something that you enjoy doing, mm. just keep doing it. There will will come a time where it will all come together. Mm. Because think about you know all the things that I, that I was doing. I, I, you know, I was with uh, Clark Terry and Bob Brookmeyer for two and a half years. 
Well, I'd, I, I'd just come from a John Cage concert, and uh, I remember it well because uh, Edgar Varese actually stepped on my foot, and that's <laughs> as close as I ever got to him. <laughs> and I brought emotionally all of that to the gig. And it happened that Clark Terry wasn't going to play till the second set, so it was just Brookmeyer. And when Brookmeyer was the only leader, anything could happen. <laughs> so, and as you probably remember, the half note, yep. the piano was facing the far wall. So right. you never got the... Uh, you never got to see the band, and you were never distracted by seeing the band because all you could do was hear the band. Right, right. And I started experimenting with uh, you know, abstraction and uh, mixing all that. And I, I probably didn't sound very good at the time, but it, ultimately it did.
Step Right Up, written by my guest Roger Kellaway, who's playing piano here with the Clark Terry and Bob Brookmeyer Quintet. I am Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. In talking again about the sound spectrum, mm. in classical music, you have the entire sound spectrum to play with as a soloist. And as a jazz soloist, you have the entire sound spectrum. But when you add bass and drums, mid-range to low-range is already filled. I remember I was playing at Jilly's. I was playing opposite Bernie Nero, who left Jilly's to become Peter Nero. We've been friends for 50 years. I was playing bass with Phil Rudy opposite him. And he recommended me to take his place on piano. But when I first started playing with Phil, who was a Dwight Mitchell fan, I noticed that when you, when you comp and when you play, you, you really don't go uh, too much below, say, uh, an octave below middle C. Why is that? He said, oh, that's where you are. Mm. That's for you. And I went, wow. Yeah. What a concept. How did playing the bass change your piano playing? Did it make you think in those terms? Three piano players I know that play bass, and we all play very differently for bass than pianists that don't play bass. Mm. Kenny Barron, mm. Monty Alexander. Elaborate on that. I spent eight years with Red Mitchell. I mean, what a joy, you know? I mean, I, I loved the bass. Red was a pretty interesting guy. You know, if, if I took four choruses on a tune, he took four choruses. <laughs> really? He said to me one day, you know, when you start those tunes ad lib, and, uh, you know, you just start rhythm when you feel like it, don't you feel like kind of going, uh, you know, counting off like this? And I said, oh, you want to come in at bar one. <laughs> <laughs> that was the truth. Uh, it's like he didn't want any music to go by that he wasn't a part of. That's fascinating. Well, that's a very unbass like attitude. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, but he was, uh, well, was Red was uh, like a physicist or something. I mean, he had an incredible mind.
My guest, pianist Roger Kellaway with bassist Red Mitchell on a 1992 recording of Have You Met Miss Jones. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. We'll talk about George Shearing because yeah. I have we all have a soft spot for George Shearing. And you talked about him as an early influence on you. Well, as I was about five years into studying classical music, and I, I did continue for 12 years, but uh, I suppose I'd say most, most uh, to the chagrin of, of my classical teacher, I happened to hear George Shearing's arrangement of I'll Remember April. And it just completely knocked me out. And then I found that it was in sheet music. So I bought the sheet music and I learned it. So that was my big solo from about 12 to 14. Before I started playing combo orcs. Right, right, right. Little groups in uh, junior high school and playing dances and but you were learning able to, to get read the, changes and stuff. Yeah, but you were able to get the actual arrangement of what George had done yeah. on the song. Yeah. So that had to be a revelation, because you hadn't played any jazz up to that point? That's correct. George Shearing on I'll Remember April. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired.
I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway and Sons and from East Hampton Indoor Tennis, eight indoor and 20 outdoor courts in a quiet, beautiful park-like setting. Visit ehit.ws for more information. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can listen to podcasts of Jazz Inspired on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook and Twitter at Stride Queen. I have a new memoir called Swinger, A Jazz Girl's Adventures from Hollywood to Harlem. To find out more about my CDs, my new memoir, and where I'm touring, and to sign up for our email newsletter, visit judycarmichael.com. Additional support for Jazz Inspired is provided by Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970. On the web at jazztimes.com. My guest, pianist composer Roger Kellaway, famously wrote Remembering You, the closing theme for the popular 70s TV show, All in the Family, starring Carol O'Connor as Archie Bunker. Although Archie and the Bunker family sang the opening theme, Roger played the closing theme as an instrumental, as background as the credits rolled. Carol O'Connor eventually wrote lyrics for Remembering You and recorded it with Roger. The two performed it on the Sonny and Cher show, a clip definitely worth watching on YouTube. Roger Kellaway heard of Carol O'Connor's passing when he was playing at the Jazz Bakery in Culver City and sang this tribute to him for his audience in the club. Here's Roger Kellaway on piano and vocal on Remembering You. And 
tomorrow I'll be starting Remembering Sad because we're parting Remembering Consolate my heart in I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm talking with pianist-composer Roger Calloway. How did you make the transition from classical to jazz when you said you weren't improvising? Because this is an interesting transition for a lot of people that some people never do effectively, and others do. I've talked to a lot of people who had classical lessons where their teacher did talk about... um, the theory behind it, the chord structure, thinking in that way with their classical, mm-hmm. where this would go if you were improvising classically, so that improvisation isn't a as much of a foreign idea when they come to jazz. But how you heard George, you liked that, you were surrounded by other people, that you were listening to this music, older musicians. But I'm thinking of our listeners, some people who play classical music that think they like to play jazz. How did that work for you in terms of making that transition? Well, it was a lot. 
is a lot freer. You know, I, I enjoyed the freedom of that. Mm. But, you know, it's taken me most of my life uh, to realize that the spread from improvisation and classical music to jazz, it's not as far away as classical people think it is. Because the idea that you're playing a Beethoven sonata, it's not a jazz improvisation. But it is an improvisation, because every time you play it, it will not be the same. Now, I'm fascinated that with all the orchestrating you've done, that you have not studied formally orchestrating. I never, I never studied orchestration formally. I had a composition teacher. He's still my composition teacher. His name is Paul Glass, and he lives in Switzerland. And uh, Paul had spent... Uh, many years as a hermit only studying orchestration, and he's one of the most brilliant in the world. So along with some of the pieces that I wrote under his tutelage, orchestration was discussed. But I never felt that I was anything more than uh, sort of self-taught and uh, learning orchestration by, by hearing things. Did open, that make you... Did that hold you back in any way, psychologically make, or or it, otherwise? It did didn't you? for the films. I, I mean, I just went straight ahead on all the films I did. When it got out to writing classical pieces, like my tuba concerto, which was commissioned by the New York Philharmonic, uh, it gets a little intimidating. Yeah, I wondered if Roger Kellaway is ever intimidated. That was really my question. So it does yeah, get intimidating, a little yeah. even for you. Because um, I'm sure there are, there are people out there. That, oh, for instance, we're, we're, Zubin is conducting and, and we're rehearsing the tuba concerto and I look out in the audience and there's Jacob Druckmann. <laughs> And he's sitting there reading my score. And I'm going, oh. <laughs> I don't want to be found out that I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but in certain areas of orchestral balance and what the instruments do, I still have a whole lot to learn. Oh, well, that's actually exciting, mm -hmm. isn't it? Because mm -hmm. that's one of the things I've always admired about you. You, I feel, are just as excited. At least you seem like you're just as excited about music as you were when I met you those many years ago. You, you just are happy to do new projects. You seem very excited about it yeah, just as much. Are you just as enthusiastic? It's, it, it, it's fascinating. The, the knowledge uh, never ends.
My guest, Roger Kellaway on piano, with Ruby Braff on cornet, on Harold Arlen's tune, Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Well, I've been looking forward to asking you, because you've composed a lot for film, and I've been told by others that sometimes the, the filmmaker talks to you at the beginning and says, this is what I'm thinking about. Other times they make the whole film, they call you in, they say, we've got a week, give us a score. I'm curious about the films that you've worked on and what the process has been. Uh, out of 29 films, I, I've only done one the way I would have preferred that the process, I, was, I would have preferred this process. Uh, and th- we're talking about the Mafu Cage, which I was just telling you it will actually come out uh, as a soundtrack album probably within a year. Uh, the director was Karen Arthur. And I was on the set as the movie was being made. Wow, that's so unusual. That, it is unusual. Because most of what film music is about is post-production. I mean, everybody thinks that, oh, gee, that means you, you know, you know Demi Moore and you know, do, 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 and they mention all these people that you've never met mm. because you're post. I'm curious. I'm sure it's budget, but uh, you may tell me something different, and maybe it's just lack of sensitivity for these things because music is such an integral part to all these films, unless it's a film that doesn't have any music, but most films have a, a score. And that's part of the emotion of it. It changes the pacing of the film. Mm-hmm. It does so much to not talk to a composer early on has always seemed strange to me. Is that strange? I mean, why do they wait till the end? Sometimes they've spent years and years developing the film. And and what they've done is they've put temp tracks. Right, so they have the some music. They right. have some music in there, and of course they tell you to disregard that when you finally see the film. And, and you don't disregard it because that's your first key to what kind of music they think they want. But it, it's true. It's uh, post-production.
Roger Calloway and Tony Coe on Roger's composition, When Will You Love Me? from the film The Dark. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I was reading an article by Jerry Goldsmith, and in the article he said, Beware of the producer who played alto sax in high school. <laughs> and I'm doing this horror film called The Dark, and we're scoring in London, and I have a, a reasonably good size orchestra. And in the middle of it all, this producer bursts into the room and looks around the orchestra and he says, where's the alto sax? <laughs> and then I thought of Jerry. <laughs> I said, yeah, right. Uh, well, we all run into that. That's something that I think that non-professionals don't know about, and that is that our business is rife with amateur players or past players who have set up a music festival all around the fact that they get to play with everyone or yeah, in a case yeah. like this, where's the alto saxophone or something like that. And we all know that exists, but I don't think that other people may know about that. <laughs> You're smiling well, as I, I say it. The state of film scores has changed so drastically because uh, of the invention of synthesizers. There are a whole lot of producers and directors who have listened to so much synthesizer music that they think that's what music is. Mm. And so therefore... The scores that you hear generally reflect that kind of music. And it's usually films, very common now, that have no theme. There's no room for a theme. So there's no, there's no theme in development, which is what I grew up on. Right. And I think many of them think that's old-fashioned. but Really? I, I don't. And John Williams is one of the only ones left that actually knows about that. He isn't the only one. Right, but that's really interesting. And I elaborate on that because I know exactly what you're talking about, but I'm not sure our listeners will. Well, so talk about what that means. People don't know how to write themes. It doesn't go far enough to be a tune. Right. It's a theme. It's a fragment of an idea uh, that... It relates emotionally to something about the film, perhaps the general character of the film. And so it can go throughout the film and, well, and it does can. in that kind of film and, yes, it, and refers the, back to it. this concept is not used very much. Mm. They don't think that way. And, I, and all I say is, wait a second. Everybody else doing the film gets to do this. They get to develop whatever their ideas are. Why shouldn't a composer do that? Mm-hmm. Well, every once in a while you'll hear something that it does that, but it's very rare. And it connects you emotionally to the film in a different way, I think, when there is that theme. Yeah. Because every time, well, you only have to think of The Godfather and how that comes back. Yeah. It always keeps bringing you back to that spot. Yeah. Talk to me about Come to the Meadow. I just love that. Come to the Meadow was written in a meadow off of, uh, in Malibu, off of PCH, 
the piece was written for my cello quartet, which I created in 1970. Cello, bass, piano, and marimba, all wood. And that was the second album called Come to the Meadow. Now, Come to the Meadow was used for 23 years by selected shorts. I know, I listen to that, so I hear it a lot. Yeah, so a lot of people know that song. guest Roger Kellaway on his composition, Come to the Meadow. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. We're in your beautiful house, which is surrounded by looking a beautiful view of looking out of the mountains and an unusual valley that you told me about, yeah. and, and seeing your office, which one of the walls or two of the walls um, are made from the wood of the packing crate of your piano, yeah. which I just love. It's it's so artistic and so inspiring. And you talked about writing Come to the Meadow in a Meadow. And do you think about the environment a lot that you're writing in, or do you write a lot when you're on the road? How does your environment affect you? Because some people just want to be in a spot, not looking out, nothing distracting them. But I would guess that you're very sensitive to environment. I... I, I I don't write very much on the road. Uh, mostly I write here. Now, this room was built as a recording studio, so it's all double-glazed windows. So it's, uh, it's pretty private. I've made, I've made uh, at least six CDs here. Right in this room? Yeah. Oh, that's room, fantastic. Yeah, because my, my trio is piano, guitar, bass. There's no room for drums in here, but uh, is that it, your favorite instrumentation to play for? Just if you're going to do your thing on the piano, if I, as a trio, yeah, I've been doing that since 2004. I it, love it, that it's instrumentation. It's basically the old uh, Oscar Peterson trio, or if you really know history, it's the Nat Call trio. Where do you? How do you set up in your concert? Because when I saw you. Um, in New York recently, it was a funny setup because your back was to the audience. But if you have an ideal on stage, do you have the bass at the nose of the piano and the no. guitar in front, or do you have the bass, bass would be by near you? Me. You do. I do it that way too. I love yeah. it that way. Yeah. But I was I was going to try uh, Oscar's setup, which is not only is the bass on the bottom end of the piano, but then the guitarist is next to the bass. Right. That's where Herb Ellis used to be. Right. And do you like it that way? I don't know. I've never had a chance to try it. Usually I have the the uh, the, the guitarist in... Uh, in the curve. Yeah, in the curve of the piano. Yeah, I'm curious about that because I I do a lot of dual work, so I'll have the, the guitarist in the curve because I like to look at people. Uh-huh. And 
But I love having no, the base. No, that's a good idea, though. I, I, I do that, too. If it's... I really want to look at them because if you've been playing with people a long time like we do, you just have to look. You really don't have to do a lot of hand signals. But if – and I I don't use bass as much as I'd like, but when I do, I really love them right there next to me because that's easy to look at them, too, because you're just turning up and looking at them. Oh, sure. They're, but it's hard if the guitarist is over there because they're behind you. So I always wondered about that configuration. I'll have to check in with you if you try that and see what you well, think. Well, normally, uh, you know, Ray Brown – wanted to be there because he wanted to be able to see Oscar's left hand. Right, right. And that's why my bass player likes it, too. Now, I wonder if he got that from maybe Slam Stewart, who wanted to see Art Tatum's left right. hand. Although, when you think about that situation, why would there be a bass anyway? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, but it, since Art covers the entire spectrum of music, where's their room? Well, uh, but you do, too. So it's But it's nice. You've got that extra bottom and what you can do with it so it's interesting but if i'm going to do that mm. if i'm going to stretch out and and cover a much more expansive musical concept mm. i'll do it alone ah i won't ask the bass to try to find where i am because more often than not um little bits of bitonality creep in and uh I, I, I don't want anybody to, to be trying. There is no try. There's only <laughs> do or do not. But I I don't want them attempting to to find where I am or to guess where I'm going. Right. And it's a nice contrast, too. You did that the other night where you'd have everybody drop out and then you'd play on your own. And I love that contrast in texture anyway. Then I'm free. Yeah. No, and it's really nice. Everybody roars back in. Thank you. 
Roger, thank you so much. This is my first bi-coastal interview. We started wow. in New York and had so much we to did. say. We yeah. wound up here in your beautiful place in Ohio. Oh, thank you, Judy. It's an absolute pleasure to see you again and, uh, and to do this interview. Thank you. You've been listening to my conversation with pianist-composer Roger Calloway. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another celebrated creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired from iTunes or at TalkShoe.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD trio. I'm on piano with Mike Hashem on sax and Chris Flory on guitar. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway and Sons and from Sag Harbor Florist. Visit sagharborflorist.net. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook and Twitter. I've written a new memoir called Swinger, A Jazz Girl's Adventures from Hollywood to Harlem. For more information on where you can find it and to order an autographed copy, visit judycarmichael.com. Special thanks to Henry and Gilda Block and to the Ken Colker Foundation and to Steinway and Sons for their continuing support of Jazz Inspired. For more information, visit jazzinspired.com or judycarmichael.com.